Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Executive, a place where entrepreneurs, investors, and operators share their advice on how to make it at the highest level. I'm your host, Matt Harbert, and I'm so excited to be joined by uh, co-CEOs, Christine Spraker and uh, Aki, Aki Alzubaidi. Did I say that right? Was I you close? got it. <laughs> of uh, Eon Health. Eon is a health data science company that is on a mission to uh, improve the lives of patients, make them healthier, bring healthcare costs down, and ultimately defy diseases. And we'll get into how they're doing that uh, shortly. They are over now 230 employees spread across the U.S. and some international employees as well, and recently raised in April $16 million of their Series A. Uh, Christine and Aki, so great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank, Thank you, you, Matt. Well, tell us about the origin story. Um, what's Eon Health doing and how are you ultimately trying to defy diseases? Yeah, I think the origin story starts with Aki, so you, you tell it best. I'm a physician and uh, the type of physician that I am is a, a lung doctor. And, you know, I got out of training and you know started practicing medicine and saw patients that had really, really late stage cancer, which was devastating. And so was looking for a solution that, uh, you know, really could help those patients out so that they had an option that, you know, for curative intent to live a long life, just like a normal human being without cancer. And there was nothing out on the market. So decided to try to fix the problem ourselves and help those specific patients out. And it's just grown since then. And how did you uh, get together as Cosios? I know that's pretty rare. How did that uh, story. How did the, your two lives come together in that sense? Yeah, that's no great question. Um, my background is on in healthcare, but more on the commercial side. So I worked for large medical device companies like Medtronic and Baxter and Stryker. I was with Medtronic and we were working together because he was actually a customer of mine. I was responsible for a, a product that he used, a procedure actually that he used to help diagnose lung cancer. So we met then uh, and then Aki was really starting to see the needle move on diagnosing some of these patients earlier. And we would sit down and talk about why, what was he doing that was different than some of the other pulmonologists that were out there. And it was pretty simple, but it was a lot of work. The algorithm was simple, but it was a lot of work. And so I would take it to other clients and say, hey, you should try this. You know, you might be able to diagnose lung cancer earlier. And they didn't really understand it. So I think we were able to connect on, okay, we understand what this problem is. How can we actually do something about it? And, and how do you detect diseases earlier? How does that, how does that work? So, uh, you know, Matt, actually what's going on is, is that uh, there's a lot of testing that happens in medicine, right? And when you do a lot of testing, you find things that maybe you weren't looking for in the initial test. And those things that you find could become cancer or become something else that needs follow-up, but not today. And unfortunately, all of those tests that house those important findings that may need something next, those patients more often than not don't get that next step. And so they have delay in the follow-up from an important finding that then a cancer, then if it does present, it presents when you have symptoms, when you cough, when you feel tired, when something else is going on. And by that time, it's too late for you to have any options that are curative options. And so what we do is we identify those findings from all the testing that's happening in healthcare, and we make sure that the patients follow up on time 
where they may have an option to have curative intent. And just to take that one step further, people have a test done for a reason. So you are in a car accident, you go and you have a CT of your chest, they're looking for trauma of the chest. They might find what Aki's talking about with these important findings. So it's secondary to the reason why they're having that or that exam to begin with. So to Aki's point, all of these things are found all the time, but if it's if they're having a test looking for something, then it's usually treated. It's very common that it's treated, but if they find something else that's not related to why they were looking or what they were looking for, then that's when it goes lost. And and why does it go lost? Is it the, the doctor's not um, informed enough or like where does it get lost to the patient of what they didn't come for? There's a saying that I just heard recently, Matt, that says that, you, you know, you fall to the system, you don't rise to the goal. And I think healthcare is a great example of where it falls to the system in which the system wasn't meant to identify an abnormality and then identify or predict what the right care pathway should be and then have adherence in a cohesive, systematic fashion that doesn't allow, there's 11 fail points from the identification of this abnormality to a patient actually getting the right next step. And if yeah. your system isn't like filling in those 11 places where they could fall, the patient doesn't get the next step. There's nothing malicious. It's just that the system isn't set up for actually getting these patients back in for the next step. And so Eon's making sure that there is a next step. You're through the doctor and the patient. We create that system within the healthcare, within that hospital, within that community that ensures that no matter what, each one of those 11 fail points is filled in. And if it does miss, we know exactly why, and we can attack that gap so that the next time the patient doesn't uh, fall through the cracks. And so the outcome could be, you know, finding cancer a lot sooner where it's actually curable at that time, right? It's those kind of things. Absolutely. Yeah. We want to give them an option, right? Like in life, you want options. And if you have late stage cancer, you don't have any options, unfortunately. If you, yeah. if you have earlier stage cancer, you have tremendous options in terms of cure. Like I keep saying curative intent, right? Like if yeah. you look at the lifespan of the next 15 years of a human with cancer, you want that to be equal to a human who doesn't have cancer over the next 15 years. Identifying it earlier gives those patients that option. Yeah, I was just on a uh, walk with another uh, venture capitalist and one of his, uh, his, one of his partners found out what exactly we we're talking about, late stage cancer, and it's too late, right? Um, and so they have so much time now and it's, it's prolonging life, not actually finding a way to cure it. The immediate thing that comes to my head is like, how can we not find those things out sooner, right? And that's what—that's the main problem you're attacking is let's figure out how to find these things sooner, so where there's still a chance for people to cure it. Absolutely, yeah. that's awesome. Um, talking more on the on the business side, so it's pretty rare to have two uh, CEOs working together as co-CEOs. Um, what's that been like? Uh, how how do you divide responsibilities as co-CEOs? Mm -hmm. A really good question, Matt. Um, <laughs> We've never got. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like there's no fights or anything. It's a perfect harmony. No, no, it's perfect. Um, <laughs> we've really had to learn and grow into uh, the functional relationship that we have as co-CEOs as well as with the team. I think early on, um, 
we didn't understand swim lanes. We didn't understand how to have designated areas that really reported back to each of us. So we tried to be everything to everyone. And it was challenging and it definitely caused some issues. Uh, somebody would ask me something, then they'd ask a follow-up to Aki. They might get conflicting information. They choose one path to go. And then one of us are going, hey, but we talked about this. Uh, so we definitely had to learn how to manage that aspect of it. And then what we've really learned is that we both have really strong skill sets, but they're very different. So naturally, there's just certain things that have moved under, say, my purview and then same with Aki. And, and you know, man, I tell you that uh, doctors oftentimes aren't great business people. They used to be entrepreneurs and run their own business within their practice, but that's really gone away. And then if you look at the doctors who try to go solo into a business that's being bootstrapped or isn't as well capitalized in the healthcare market, man, big time risk of failure if you don't connect with somebody who understands business and, and can help you out with some of those aspects. And so for me early on, I think that it was important to have a business person who really was the leader of the company. And so, you know, there's there's an early investor. His name is George Conradius. I don't know if you've ever read like Crossing the Chasm, but one of his companies was in that book called it's Akamai. Right. And Akamai yeah. was a humongous company in the early 90s. And, you know, he said, listen, like you got to have a business partner and you find somebody who, you know, you think that you can communicate with well. And it's nothing but upside if the business partnership works. If you even though like other companies may not have co-CEOs. Man, there's a there's definitely a partnership in the majority of businesses that's not just one person. And so regardless of title, we're business partners. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um, it's nice to have somebody too that you can go to. I think so often at the top it's very lonely. And so we can one, commiserate, but two, I mean, we're able to brainstorm, <laughs> strategize. We've yeah. definitely had our fights and you know if, if you look at data, you know. Uh, founder and co-CEOs up until the point of IPO actually is, is, is beneficial, uh, you know, and then after the IPO is when, you know, founders or founder-like personalities end up actually, you know, causing detriment in terms of, of, of the growth of a company. So, you know, I think it makes sense for us to do it this way and we've been growing and being real successful. It works. Yeah, it's interesting on the loneliness, right? Because a lot of founders do talk about that, that it feels very lonely because they feel like they can't say certain things to the team because they don't want to give them less confidence in the business. So they just have to internalize it where the two of you probably know everything that's going on and can really share uh, the, the good and bad. Uh, you did mention uh, investors. I have to ask uh, because you got a pretty high profile investor in Mark Cuban. How did that come about? I know he's getting a lot more involved in, uh... <laughs> there he is. I thought you were in a, I thought he was going to be in the room. Yeah, yeah. That would have been a, a fun yeah. trick. Yeah, because he, he's involved in. He's been famously known for in the last. Obviously, he's famously known for a lot of reasons, but in the last year or so, for bringing drug prices down, which has been pretty incredible. How did he get involved in Eon Health? Yeah, 2014, 13. I can't remember which year. She always gives me <laughs> trouble about the years, but early on, um, you know, we were. I was trying to solve this problem in my own clinic, right? Looking for a solution and uh, the algorithm was working. And so every Saturday morning, like there was like 40 different people, you know, that I would email. And I went to markcubancompanies.com, look at their portfolio companies, 
email structure and would send out emails every single Saturday. And one Saturday he responded and we went back and forth for like three hours where he asked questions and he lit at the end of it. He goes, that's in, in emails. What's that? Oh, and, uh, and, and emails. via email. Yeah. Via email. And it was like his access TV account. And uh, he was just going back and forth. And then at the end, he sent me an email and said, that's research, not business. And then didn't talk to me for like another year and a half. (laughs) But to, you know, uh, to Aki's credit, he continued to email him with follow-ups. Here's what the business is doing. Here's how we've pivoted. You know, thanks for the great advice. What do you think about this? And stayed in contact. And he'd respond every once in a while and sometimes go ghost. And then... He responded one time when we were raising some money. Well, she actually got, um, uh, you know, some of the, uh, the extended family from the Montfort family who um, ended up putting in, you know, $250,000 into a seed round uh, uh, with Eon. And immediately after they came on, he goes, if you want me to be in, do this. And it was the same terms or almost the same terms as, you know, what we were given in our seed round. So we were like, we got on the phone. Hey. Make it a done deal. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> Feel so, like you're on Shark Tank. Yeah, we got a better deal than any Shark Tank, though. I'm just saying. I believe it. Yeah. How how many emails did it take to get him to respond initially? I don't know, hundreds. Wow. Persistence. That is persistence. That's incredible. And then he goes to you, and then a year and a half later, from the first, that from the initial email he, that he responded to, you got him in. You got we got him in. You remember that? Um, Man, what was Arnold Schwarzenegger in that, you know, Mr. When um, he was Mr. Olympia with in who? The early 70s. Yeah, in the early 70s. You know, when he called, he's like, before the competition, he says he won, right? Yeah. Like, I was telling everybody that Mark Cuban is going to be an investor before he even, like, was an investor. So That's sometimes incredible. you got to manifest it, you know? He's been great for the business, though. He He's helped us out tremendously. We were able to meet him and do a live webinar with several of Aki's peers, so a few pulmonologists, and just talking about technology and his ability to understand and how to apply technology across industries without being a full expert in that particular industry is pretty amazing. He taught us the biggest lesson, Matt, I'm sorry, but this is important for folks that are starting a business, is that, man, we didn't understand the importance of legal or lawyers even, and I know that people talk trash about lawyers, but we got on doing this deal you know, his lawyer really just torched our, our legal. And we were like, oh, my goodness, like we need to get new legal. And, and <laughs> Mark Cuban introduced us to, you know, like different types of lawyers that have helped us out immensely. One of the biggest values that he's brought is like the legal representation with different circumstances that you come up with a growing business. Interesting. The right service providers around the business. That's correct. It- and you mentioned the business too, from a legal standpoint, right? He he made sure right. that before he invests, like all that gets cleaned up, it, like the cap table or more, more than, than that. that. IP, every, yeah, every contract, reps and warrants, and warranties and everything. Yeah, all everything. And so IP you said he, everything. he he wanted you to switch. He said you're more research. It's not a business yet. What did he want you to go do that he said you have to go do if I'm going to invest in this company? He, he didn't say what he wanted us to do. I think that it was like, hey, find a problem that is massive, is mission critical, yeah. that people will actually pay you for, as opposed to a research problem that may or may not bring value. You don't know what the value is. What's uh, What we've realized over the you know last seven years and as our customer base grows, 
the most important thing is that we're impacting patients and we've impacted a significant number of patients, close to a half million at this point, and it's wow. only going to get bigger. Um, but there's a financial return for hospitals and it improves clinical efficiency. So finding a technology vendor in healthcare that delivers on all three is nearly impossible. You usually have to have high operational staff to make something work. It doesn't bring money or it's just research and the clinical value isn't there yet and you're not able to apply it to a broad population. Is the financial return for the hospitals, is that because people are actually coming back sooner than they should be to get cured or where's the- Not sooner, they're just coming back. They're just coming back in, in general. These patients who have these findings, they're lost to follow up about 70% of the time or don't receive wow. the appropriate follow-up test. They do come back sooner with our, our, our service, which is the clinical benefit. Yeah. The financial benefit is if they follow up at all. Yeah. So, so when, oh, go ahead. No, 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 please go ahead. So when you raised that first initial, that was a seed round or that was all angel? Um, all angel. Mark and George were angel. Okay. Where did you put that capital to work versus the $16 million that you more recently raised? You know, where, where is that being focused? How does that change? So early on, I mean, we didn't take a paycheck for a long time. Uh, we worked out of Panera. We were just laughing about this yesterday. <laughs> so loud. Yeah. Unlimited coffee. That's probably why. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then our dev team. Our dev team was growing. We have a great team and we wanted to make, I mean, we could. Engineering. Engineering. Yeah. yeah. We, we could do everything else. We did a lot with just us on a really small um, budget. We didn't hire any real employees in the U.S. until 2018. So. Data science. We invested a bunch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Data yeah. science and engineering, I would say. Yeah. Right. The technology. The technology. And, how, and how's that changing now to raise a $16 million Series A? Where's the focus going? Talent. Yeah. Talent, 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 right? Smart people who are driven, who have the right approach, who are anchored to our core values and mission, and just putting those people and pointing them in the right direction. And just, you know, they, we, we have a good setup here where smart people can come in who are talented and can achieve the goal of what we're trying to accomplish. We, and high focus on the commercial team as well. So more develop or more investment into engineering and data science, but we hired and we just uh, announced it yesterday, our a chief commercial officer, uh, Michael Muka, who has a ton of experience and he's really focused on growing the commercial side of the business. Uh, just a, a real class act. And we're so excited to have a, a partner, somebody who can take on that responsibility and grow a SaaS based company. Before That's we awesome. raised the 16 million, Matt, I don't know if you remember this, but we went out to, uh, you know, Silicon Valley and uh, somebody was like, Hey, listen, like your next, like your next couple of years in this first couple of years as a pilot. And I didn't understand what they were really talking about. Right. And, and we got to close to, you know, I don't know, 8 million ARR, which, you know, to me is a, we're proud as heck of it, but like, that's our pilot. And then you had to make a decision. It's an inflection point. And we decided that, listen, we're going to, we, we've gotten to the point where if we do raise money, we won't be leveraged financially off of our mission or our core values. So it's the right time. And, now we've proven a pilot. We know it works. If people are paying us for it, it's creating value. Man, put some daggone gasoline in the sports car and right. let's go. You know what I mean? You, so that's you, what we're you, doing. You've got product market fit at that point. So you felt like you could raise capital 
sell a little bit of a business and really excel. That's correct. Exactly. While maintaining yeah. ownership, majority ownership, yeah. being able to control decisions and really driving the business and the mission. We see so many companies that really start out well-intentioned and then they go and raise too much money and they're leveraged out of whatever their initial idea or mission was because now they're beholden to the investors and what they say they need to do. Whatever drives returns, getting exactly. away from the mission. You, you know, you're a similar challenge, right? Is finding the talent, which you mentioned, that's the key. What are you, what are you, what have you found is key to finding the really good people that are going to drive your organization forward? Yeah. I mean, to me, I think it's the mission. I think, yeah. you know, it's, it's like, uh, are they really about it or are they not about it? Right. And then does the company know who they are and does the company know where they're going? Right. And talent wants to go to a company that's about it when it comes to their mission. And we bout it, bout it, Matt, right? Yeah. It's, and then we, we know who we are. Look, like there's so many distractions. And Mark Cuban gave us this advice too, man. Don't focus on distractions. Focus on desired results, right? Talented individuals want to focus on desired results. And then know where you're going and just be humble. And that's how you get talent, in my opinion. You know, we, early on, we didn't have a lot of money. We weren't able to use different recruiting firms. We relied on Indeed. We were happy to have anybody come in. Uh, and now we've really, we, we interviewed a ton of um, talent in recruiting firms. And we found one that has been really incredible for our executive level searches. And just, they're bringing people to us that we didn't know were existed, but these people are also interested in us, which is really humbling and pretty amazing to see, wow, what we're doing is making such an impact and people do want to rally behind that mission. Yeah, you're, you're seeing the mission. It's interesting. You, you're saying talent recognizes when you have your stuff together, right? Like you know the, you know, the mission's really clear. You know where you're going. They recognize it, right? Where I'm sure they're going to be in other places where like, we're not really sure where they're going. And you have to be so clear on that. Otherwise, they, they sniff it out really quickly. Big time. And it's got to be a good fit too, right? Both ways. Like that people are thinking about, you know, jobs differently than they ever did. Like it's not a 30 year lifer story anymore, right? It's right. like people think, I think in terms of maybe like five years, at, you know, at max, five to eight years max is kind of like what people are doing and then they redefine themselves. It used to be 15 years, every 15 years that you start to get burnt out from a gig and then you have to redefine yourself and you decide I'm a lifer. And that time period keeps inching down, so. What, what would you say, you know, as you have, are growing this business and you kind of look back at, you're like, that was probably the, one of the best decisions we made as a company to get us to where we are today. I would say hands down, not raising uh, a big round of finance early on, mm. waiting until we had the product market fit, um, being true controllers and operators of the business. Yeah, we operated as a function of revenue in 2020 when the world changed, we ended up you know, using our revenue to pay off debt. And it was unheard of at the time, quite frankly. Nobody even, you know, like if you raise a convertible debt or convertible notes, most of that time it converts to equity. We decided to pay it off and risk adjust the business because you realize there's oh, things wow. out of your control, right? Yeah. And, and we had friends and family who had invested money. And I grew up, my dad said, you can't die with debt regardless of what the terms are. 
So we paid yeah. off all of our debt in December of 2020. Wow. And that's one of the biggest, you know, I think pretty rare best decisions that we've ever done. And then the 16 million, I mean, you raised that right when, wasn't that right when the market was taking a dive or is that right before? I right before. Yeah, we got good time. <laughs> so it was really good timing. Yeah. Um, Great timing. And now, and I'll, I'll reverse the question. There's a lot of mistakes in startups. They're unavoidable, right? We're all learning. We're all learning quick. What, what's the one you're like, oh man, that, that one just, I think about that often. That We made a big mistake there. Oh gosh. You just probably be different than mine. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, so there's many. so many. Um, gosh, there's, I mean, I think the, the hardest thing for me and probably the, I would say some of the biggest mistakes I made was with personnel and team members. Um, yeah. You know, I'd never had to fire people before. Um, I, I felt inside me, I owed it to employees to, try to give them everything I could to help them be successful and probably held on to people maybe longer than they should, which isn't fair for them or for us. Um, yeah. and maybe hiring some, you know, some people that probably weren't a good fit for the organization. Um, that's been really hard. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's personnel and, you know, like there's good people who people. that you know in the phases of the, the timing of, of of you know what their skill set is versus what the company needs their ability to adjust in a dynamic market right like and at the end of the day it ends up in separation or like you know in a big investment from both sides that doesn't work out and i mean it's just so difficult right and it hurts your soul as well too yeah. when good people don't, you know end up in separation that part's been the most difficult. And, you know, some of the things that keeps me up at night, like if I just did that, if I just would have thought about this or approached it differently, yeah. like there's value, mutual value that we could have realized and we didn't, right? Yeah, it feels like a mistake on your end. And then it's probably very hard. You probably know in your soul or your heart, right? That that person's not gonna, is not the right fit, right? You learn you made a mistake and it's how long do you let that continue? Yeah. And I think that's probably the hardest thing for entrepreneurs, right? Make that those with a heart, right? Yeah, for yeah, sure. Right. For some, it's not hard. That's right. <laughs> um, as you are now, you know, growing the business and have put now um, got the rocket fuel. Where are your where, where are you putting your focus? The two of you, um, like, what? How do you prioritize things as CEOs? Like, where are you really trying to invest your time every single week into the business? Yeah. Um great question because it's always changing yeah. <laughs> we have to say like we've stepped down or resigned or been fired from our jobs so many times <laughs> we start doing something else um i'm really focused now i i want to be really intentional about our team and the culture and the dynamics of it as we grow um, making sure we continue to be mission driven um you know despite best efforts to hire great people sometimes cancers um, you know, get into an organization and being able to weed those out because you don't want to bring yeah. high performers down with somebody who's not a, a, a high performer or toxic to a culture. Um, and then sales operations, um, it's really, and marketing is really where I like to focus. And my um, soul bleeds for the patients. And yeah. so I'm out there, the market's confused, right? If you look at what the U.S. spends in healthcare dollars versus where we rank in terms of outcomes, there's a huge mismatch. And that mismatch means that the market is confused about what's real value. They don't even understand what the problems are 
or what the solutions are to that problem that makes financial sense, right? There's has to, the, the, like the solution to a problem has to make financial sense and it has to be scalable. Man, I'm spending my heart, my effort, my time on getting the decision makers who have been empowered that affects the communities, the patients that these hospitals mm -hmm. serves to understand that they have a problem. That problem's costing them money, costing patients outcomes, and that we're that solution that makes financial and clinical sense to solve that problem. Well, you're, I mean, it's probably, you're, you're talking to hospitals, right? So you're trying to get them to change, right? And so I can imagine those are some hard conversations to get them there. It, they're confused, right? Yeah. And I think there, there's confusion and confliction in healthcare. I don't even know if confliction's a, a word, but you, <laughs> it's going to be like there. I like it. And, oh, and so, yeah, you know, we're trying to figure out how to, you know, give them certainty and clarity. And, you know, if they're conflicted and then they can't be a client, then identifying that and moving on to folks that can. Right. Yeah, that's a good point too, right? Like knowing people that are just not your customer and not wasting too much time on them. That's a distraction to the goal. Yeah. What are the, um, you talked about systems earlier. What are the systems you're trying to create kind of in your professional lives to make you the most productive, right? Because even though you've got two CEOs, it's a lot of responsibilities. Are there systems you've put in place that really help the two of you? I would say, um, personally, I have the best house manager in the world. Mm. Uh, and she really helps me keep my life organized at home, helps me with my children. And then we recently hired um, a strategic assistant to the co-CEOs. And she's been wonderful for me here. She's really helped me organize a lot of just the daily tasks and operational things that were really weighing me down. So that's been nice just personally. Um, do you want to? Yeah, I mean, personal, you know, like uh, there's, to me, it's, you know, routine, logging, tracking, you know, organization, and everybody's different, right? Like her system's different than my system. Yeah. Um, you know, you get a ton of emails and you get a, a ton of distractions every single day. And what I think the best thing is, is protected work blocks or protected days, right? Yeah. You, like, well, even with everybody, the whole, even like everybody, like we have these, you know, two, three hour protected work blocks, right? And during those times, that's unadulterated, non-interrupted work time. Highly suggest protected work blocks. Gives you time to think not be distracted, really focus on whatever finish. issue you're trying to yeah. tackle. You get to finish something. You'll turn off your phone, turn off email, like silence everything. Yeah, I think yeah. not checking your email throughout the day is the best thing you can do. A couple times a day is really helpful. Yeah, it always ends up being the same result. What what happened today? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the house manager, uh, I feel like that's one of the fastest growing careers now. That's becoming a much more common thing. Uh, and when you have multiple kids and you've got a crazy work life too, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's wonderful. I've Adds a lot of hours back. Yeah, grocery shopping. Grocery shopping, uh, sometimes dinner. Um, yeah. As we you know, look to kind of wrap up, a few last questions for you. What has been the best advice that the two of you have received in your, in your career and through this journey? Oh man, um, you know, be a good person. I don't know, right? Like, yeah. 
my dad is a was a nuclear physicist and he said drop water not bombs that's another one so <laughs> yeah. i don't know you know what i, I mean? love it yeah <laughs> that's that's the main quote right there that's right that's a great one yeah, yeah. that's a great quote um yeah I, the only thing i can think of are things that my dad had said and they're all like the only free cheese is in the trap and a job working <laughs> well but they've stuck with me and i think it's just been in the back of my head you know just work hard and do yeah. focus on what you need to focus on and do it with integrity and be a good person. Um, figure like out what, said, yeah, you gotta yeah. figure out what makes you happy. I think the best, like really like in business, right. Especially today is like, we talk about self-actualization, right. You meet your survival needs, but at the end of the day, what makes you happy. Right. And like, especially in today's world, I'm not coming into work if I don't like it and I don't yeah. enjoy it and nobody else is either. Right. So, yeah. Figure out what makes you happy. Make sure that you are happy in what you're doing, right? Or don't do it. Change. Like, yeah. just step up and go do something different. And that's been the best advice to me. If I stop having fun doing something or I'm not happy, I'm moving on and figuring out how I can be happy. Yeah, that's good advice. And uh, is there a book that you'd point to and you're saying that was one of the most helpful books or one of your favorite books through this too? I have, I have two, not surprisingly, they're both by <laughs> Uh, female entrepreneurs. Um, the first is Lean In and um, uh, by, by Sheryl Sandberg. And then the second is The Woman I Wanted to Be by Diane von Furstenberg. I never heard a woman talk the way she talked and she owned mm. herself and she was unapologetic for it. And it really allowed me to think, oh, I can step in as a strong woman, but still be a woman and still be kind and operate how I want to. So I think those two were probably two of the best that I've read. Those are great recommendations. I don't know. My favorite book is, I have a lot of books. I don't know, but the one that, like, the one that probably um, like influenced me the most or helped me out the most is very, very boring. It's called Harrison's. And it's a book that all doctors who are doing internal medicine study their first day of residency. I read it cover to cover. And it gave me such a leg up. I mean, I, I came from nothing, Matt, man. And like just having knowledge and reading allowed me to, to have depth of knowledge and answer questions and treat patients early on and excel. And it allowed me opportunities that I have now. And so that book just gave me an excellent foundation as a physician and highly suggest any physician to read Harrison's cover to cover. How do you, you know, your, your lives are so busy working on the business and your personal lives too there's so many fires in the day. How do you find time to read and find time to do things that are forward looking, right? Like knowing what's going on in the industry, like continually tracking those things. How do you find time to stay in front of all those things when you need to for the long term? Yeah, a great question. So I um, have found, I used to be very anti audiobooks because I didn't feel like I'd be able to process it. But yeah, I walk same. my dogs every morning and I listen to, I'm listening to the five dysfunctions of, of a team right now. And it's a great way for me to absorb information that I need for the team, for the business, and be able to maximize my time, get some exercise, walk my dogs, yeah. listen to a good book. I agree. Work out and listen to a book. Like, listen, you memorize songs, right? If you listen to them, yeah, that's a good point. It's with you, right? Like, why not put that information, like, while you're working out, doing something healthy? I highly suggest that as well. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, to wrap us up, what is the what is the 
the end vision for Jan? What do you see in the next kind of 10 years? Where, where do you want to go? Total domination. <laughs> he says it so much better than I would. So, uh, you know, we're not- He gets away with it. Yeah, George also told us too, and this is great advice. This is probably what our answer should have been. Don't build a company to sell it. Yeah. Build a company to solve a problem. And if you're solving a problem and you're successful with it, opportunities will come about. Yeah, he told us we're effing crazy. We're effing lunatics, I think was exactly what he said. (laughs) If if, If you build a company for acquisition. And so, you know, I think that's what it is. Yeah. Get out there and dominate, man. Dominate. Just put in the work. Blackie and Christine, such a pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for joining. So great to hear about your stories and what you're building at Eon. So much more to come. I'm sure you both feel like it's still early days. Uh, It is. Yeah. Yeah. The fun. uh, That's the fun part now. Yeah, I can feel the excitement. Yeah. That's right. You got the rocket field now. So it'll be exciting to see uh, what you guys continue to continue to build. So thanks so much for joining. It's been a blast, Matt. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you.